3: Beam me up on the mamas of all mama shit. Hey, I'm looking through my telescope and I see a mothership.
4: Is that you? Beam me up. Hey, DA, I'm thirsty, man. Can you beam me up for a cold one? Hey, DA, what's going on, baby? Stop me off and beam me up. Yay, what's the silly Oh, permission to get in that mothership? Is my window seat
5: still available? Beam me up. What's going on, DA? Hey, man, I need you to do me a huge favor. My co-worker's a jerk. Oh, just beam me up, man. Get beamed up. Everyone else? It says
1: it's D.A. on CBS Sports Radio. Yeah! Happy being alive, day, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you dropping on by, spending part of your morning, or all of your morning, with the Da. Coming up in 20 minutes, we've got your sound check, your best audio of the day. In 40 minutes, we remember a Baltimore legend. But we were just talking about the... Offense of the Miami Dolphins putting up 70 points on Sunday. A note on the Broncos. Would it not be amazing if the Broncos are actually worse than they were last year under Nathaniel Hackett? (laughs) Didn't think that was possible. Might we see the 2023 version of the Broncos make the 2022 version look somewhat competent? I mean, at least last season, Nathaniel Hackett's team didn't ever give up 70 points.
4: And he should give Russ his uh, office back.
1: Give Russ his office back. Let him have his team of insurance salesmen that follow him around throughout the, the facility. Let Russ cook. <laughs> <laughs> he stripped him of his powers. Now they're giving up 70 points a game. So a lot of questions in Denver about what just happened and what they've seen over the course of this early part of the season hasn't certainly looked much better than it was last year. But Russ has been a little bit more efficient seemingly in certain scenarios, but not overall. And the exact opposite is happening in Miami. Sean McDermott and the Buffalo Bills prepare to take on this undefeated Miami Dolphins team coming up here on Sunday. And Sean McDermott, was waxing poetic about the offense that he's going to face and said it, said that they even seem revolutionary in how they approach things. And I was thinking, boy, that's some strong words for a guy that doesn't usually speak in hyperbole. I mean, Sean McDermott is pretty close to the vest. McDermott usually does not over exaggerate. And, you know, he's he's a bland, boring, um, very, very conservative in terms of, you know, how he approaches things type of guy. And for him to say the Dolphins offense almost is revolutionary, I thought was interesting. This is a game in Buffalo coming up on Sunday. And, you know, I don't necessarily think it's revolutionary. I think there are some concepts of what McDaniel is bringing to the table, which we see in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan. And Kyle Shanahan's offense, obviously, with a lot of motion, a lot of creative sets, guys in non-traditional spots, unique types of formations. That has been actually, you know, a it is it's really from the old Mike Shanahan play calling and offense. And Mike Shanahan's offense goes back to the West Coast offense with Mike Holmgren and then Bill Walsh back in San Francisco. So this is really all rooted in what Bill Walsh brought to the table back in the 80s and what he learned from Paul Brown back in the 70s, which is now fast forward and put on steroids because now the game's much more wide open. Now you have guys that are pretty incredible athletes that you can put into space a lot of different ways. Defense can't crowd you the way that they used to be able to. They can't hit you the way they used to be able to. And quarterbacks are just far more, uh, I think, savvy in quick decision making and um, just some execution of plays that we've never seen before. Like the back shoulder fade is a pretty indefensible play when it is executed correctly. And the back shoulder fade wasn't really a thing, you know, before, let's just say 15 years ago. So there are elements right now of what the Dolphins do, what Shanahan of the Niners do, and some other offenses. The Packers have some of that in there that is very, very unique. But I don't think it's really revolutionary because there's parts of this across the NFL. I think really what you have here with the Dolphins is one player having his truest potential unlocked and this is what we dream about with coaches and quarterback gurus and these guys maybe a pitching coach or a certain head coach of the NBA college basketball college football these specific brains who are able to look inside somebody else's brain and say this is how we unlock your greatest potential and that simply put is what Mike McDaniel has done with Tua Tungavailoa. It's not that Tua wasn't ever a talented individual. The Dolphins wouldn't have drafted him where they did. And Tua, before his final injury at Alabama, was the presumed number one pick in the draft, remember? I mean, tank for Tua was the the rallying cry. So plenty of executives and plenty of coaches, plenty of fans, media observers, knew that Tua was really an exciting prospect. But he was ultimately injury-prone at Alabama. He slipped in the draft a little bit and would always be compared to the big, strong-armed, muscular Justin Herbert, who just felt and looked more like a prototypical, dynamic NFL quarterback. Tua wasn't what Justin Herbert was. Didn't have this kind of cannon for an arm. Didn't look like the Terminator walking out there. The big, flowing locks. Tua was a little bit more slight. He was a little bit more slender. He didn't have as big of an arm. It didn't seem like he had a howitzer attached to his shoulder. And he was also somewhat soft-spoken. He was very polite. And, you know, people didn't know what to believe, including myself. And I think his teammates as well. Tua might have been trying to fit in. Tua might have been trying to prove that he was an alpha, prove that he was a leader, prove that he was a franchise quarterback, Maybe it was off-putting to some at times because it felt artificial behind the scenes, but there was certainly a disconnect between Tua as what he was supposed to be and what Tua realistically was, which was somewhat injury-prone, serviceable quarterback, but not a top-ten pick in the draft who was supposed to solve all the problems of quarterback that the Dolphins have had since Dan Marino retired. And I give Tua credit Because I think the first seasons of Tua's career, he does not have an offensive head coach. Tua, remember, has Brian Flores as his head coach, a defensive head coach. And there's clearly some bubbling behind the scenes of what exactly Tua can ever be. And the first two years, he doesn't finish the season due to injury. And they don't really take a great step forward. They are better, but it's not like they've got playoff success and there's still question marks about the offense. And Brian Flores is just clearly not the guy that's going to be able to tap into a quarterback's brain and tell him, this is the read here, this is the hot route there, et cetera. So even though Brian Flores seemed to be doing a pretty good job, they fire him. And remember the, the hellstorm that followed that. Why would you fire Brian Flores? He finally got them you know, back on the winning side of things. What has he done to get fired? And the Dolphins had no track record of good decision-making. So it was totally fair to question that. And I still think Brian Flores would make a good head coach at the NFL. What I had heard was he was difficult to work with behind the scenes because he was a hard-ass. And he was really intense and also didn't necessarily play well in the sandbox with others. So assistant coaches got fatigued of him. Players got exhausted by him. Management around him was like, you're always on the offensive. And it just became exhausting to to be around him. And so they just said, even though the team's a little better, we think we need a better work environment, basically. And the Dolphins end up being validated because Mike McDaniel certainly is an easier guy to deal with. That much is evidently clear. But also, the offense has taken flight, and they make the playoffs last year. They nearly win a playoff game in Buffalo with Skylar Thompson as their quarterback and now they're three and0 and they look like one of the best teams in football what Mike McDaniel did was simply find a way to connect to Tua from an emotional standpoint a mental standpoint and a football standpoint it had to be all three of those and figure out what it would take to unlock whatever tua's greatest potential is now here's where you got to give Tua credit he didn't let the first two seasons break him it certainly feels like Zach Wilson's broken That there really isn't a fix here. That even if Zach Wilson was coached by Mike McDaniel or Kyle Shanahan or one of the great offensive coaches, Sean McVay or whoever, would he ever be what we're seeing from Tua? Would he ever be at the head of an offense that can put up 70 points? That feels highly unlikely no matter who his head coach was, no matter who his weapons were. So Tua, from a mental standpoint, I think is much stronger than people gave him credit for. And let's think about the concussions last year. That was something that could have put a lot of people into their own mental closet and never be really comfortable to come out of. And you could understand that. We saw some pretty hellish images of Tua laying prone on the field, you know, arm a limp, a kimbo, and it was it was really very scary. to have fought through all of that. Early questions about him, the injuries that have dogged him, a second head coach early in his career, and the concussions. And he's flying right now. now they gave him great weapons. Jalen Waddell's been great. Tyreek Hill obviously is a huge piece. They helped up the offensive line. They gave him an offensive-minded head coach. So he's been helped in a lot of ways. But I think Mike McDaniel did something more important, he gave Tua the roadmap of how to succeed and let Tua trust because he was able to connect with him on a personal basis. It's a the video of him on the sidelines, and they're kind of poking fun at one another, and they're doing it in the middle of a game on the sideline during a timeout shows that, that Tua, he wasn't a robot. He wasn't. Worried or scared or overthinking. McDaniel was trying to get him to relax. To trust him. And to be one of the guys. And I don't think anybody would have said that about Tua the first two years of his career. Relaxed. One of the guys. Trusting. And McDaniel got there somehow with him. Now, quick drops. Quick reads. Tua knows where the guys are supposed to be. When the Denver Broncos decide not to cover Tyreek Hill. That's an easy throw to make. So he was helped out certainly on Sunday, but there's something, the revolutionary part of the Dolphins is not in my estimation, the game plan. It's that Mike McDaniel has been able to put all of these things together and make it work. And all the guys are so different. Tyreek Hill is nothing like Tua. Nothing. But it's somehow working and Tyreek has gone to bat for Tua for these two years. He said publicly, and maybe he's saying publicly what Mike McDaniel would like to say, but he's not going to say because he's the head coach. But there, there is a meld, a chemistry there on offense, certainly, that feels like they really trust one another, the offense, the scheme, the quarterback, and the coach. And look, if you're a Dolphins fan, and I I worked in Florida two different times, so I've been around a a lot of Dolphins fans. I did Dolphins post-game show. Um, I've been around former Dolphins. I used to work with Keith Sims and Keith Byers. Those guys were part of the the Dan Marino days. It has been a long time since anybody around the Dolphins could be like, yeah, we're we're a healthy, functional organization where – the coach and the quarterback trust one another and, like, things are going well. This is not what the Dolphins have ever been since Marino and Shula. Even Marino and Jimmy Johnson weren't like this. That, to me, feels like the, quote, revolutionary part. When we come back, we've got sound check and we dig into the toy box. The aliens, including longtime the aliens, stay right there. I'll make it worth your while. DA, CBS Sports Radio.
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: CBS presents
0: this program in color. An educated person can't think he's going to get a recruit by uh, strippers coming in. They can fire you, but they can't eat you. And they run through our ass like
1: through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. The audio you need to hear. It's D.A. Soundcheck. All right, welcome back. D.A. with you here on CBS Sports Radio. Now, Josh Dobbs, the surprising starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals this season. But he's now been the starting quarterback for three consecutive weeks and just pulled off a huge upset of the Dallas Cowboys. It's the Wizard of Oz on Sunday. So Josh Dobbs recording his first victory as a starting quarterback in the NFL went into the Cardinals' team store. Now, I'm not sure if he was buying a gift for somebody or maybe just for a souvenir for himself, but went into the Cardinals' official team store and couldn't find his own jersey.
4: Yo, Josh Hobbs here. All right, I'm in the team store for the Cardinals trying to get a jersey for my fans. Check this out. So I walk over here to get a jersey made. Boom. Adult, then I go large, next. Then I go select from roster, okay? Next, and guess what? Your boy is nowhere to be found. You got all the numbers and no number nine. Like, yo, I know I just got here, but at least, come on, we can at least have the custom jersey ready for me. Help your boy out.
1: So that is from Josh Dobbs' social media handle. That has to be quite the humbling moment. You're the starting quarterback of the Cardinals. You have just beaten the Cowboys, who have tortured the Cardinals throughout their history because they were once division rivals in the NFC East. And he goes into the team store, he says, to buy a jersey for his fans. And he's going through all the jerseys, and there's no Josh Dobbs jersey. And is he saying you can't even customize a Josh Dobbs jersey?
4: Yes, he's on. He's on the kiosk, I guess, at the team store where you can customize jerseys. And at these kiosks, or even on the website, usually they have the whole roster there, so you can just pick a player that maybe isn't like you know, well known. He isn't even on that. He's not on the full <laughs> roster, let alone <laughs> just the players that they normally have, the star players. He's on Let me just. I, you, know, you can probably be the long snapper before you can get a Josh Dobbs jersey.
1: No, I was thinking on this story, who would be the most popular jersey sold at the team store for the Cardinals this year? Probably still Kyler. Yeah, probably Kyler Murray. But yeah. okay, so let's take Kyler off of the list because he's not playing. I mean, Buda Baker?
4: Or James Connor. I guess Those would be the two guys, I would think. James
1: Connor or Buda Baker? I mean, you, isn't Buda Baker injured?
4: Yeah, yeah, he's also injured, right, yeah.
1: So, yeah, in terms of the guys who's, who are playing, Rondell, I guess it,
4: Rondell Moore? Or I
1: James, <laughs> James Connor,
3: or Mark Hollywood Brown? Maybe. Who stinks? Who was their first-round pick this year? Did they have one? I don't know. I don't even remember. Did they have one? I don't know if they did. I have no idea. It wasn't anybody flashy, I don't think. It might have been a lineman, and you're not going to buy a lineman jersey. They, sh- first round pick.
1: they should have just kept why his- not? Isaiah Simmons. Yeah. So they uh, had him. Oh, decide. Paris
3: Johnson. That's why we
4: didn't remember. Officer Lyman. Paris okay. Johnson, right.
3: So I saw a couple of deep takes on this deep analysis that he did this, that this shows that he has a bad relationship with the team, Like it, that he didn't have to share this, but he shared it like to really make a point because of some issue with the organization.
1: I'd be surprised if he had an issue with the organization because they got rid of Colt McCoy to start him. Yeah, but did they, didn't they think he was the worst option? Because they were trying to tank. Right. Exactly. So he's going to take it personally that they started him to give him the job that he's never had because they thought that he was specifically going to stink.
3: Right, that Colt was too good to
1: start for them. I think that's reading really a little too deep. Probably. I think if, you're, if your organization gives you a job, a starting job, And they say, I'm sure behind the scenes, Jonathan Gatton isn't like, I hope that you lose because we really think you stink.
3: I think they're probably saying nice things to him. He's got to be pretty loyal to the guys that gave him that job. But if you're a player and you want something, you don't go to the team store. Like you tell somebody, hey, I need this, and it shows up at your locker. That's the way I would assume. This feels like somebody told him, hey, man, I was in there on Sunday. There's no Dobbs jerseys. Can't even make one. So then he went in there knowing he wasn't going to find a Dobbs jersey. That is possible. I think it's probably a thing where before the
1: season, the team store makes the list of jerseys that they have prepared. They put this order in in June or July. They have the list ready. Everything is ready to go week one of the NFL season or the preseason. The preseason probably is when these decisions are made. And then, you know, Dobbs was not even a a blip on the radar then, and now it's week three, and it looks
4: kind of stupid now, but these things are probably set way long ago. It just feels like, to me, I mean, we've seen teams acquire players the day before, and then they have jerseys ready. I don't know when (laughs) Aaron Rodgers got, you know, traded, but it felt like there were Rodgers jerseys before he even got traded to the Jets, it feels like. Like, to me, this just felt like one of those moments where you have a team that is so going through the motions— Besides right. the players, apparently. Because the players are playing hard. Right. The coach, who's kind of weird, seems to be doing a decent job. But everyone else in the organization <laughs> is just, like, going through the motions, just waiting for the draft. So they don't even have to start in quarterback's jersey ready <laughs> at the team store. I love that take. EJ says the Arizona
1: Cardinals on September 27th are waiting for the draft. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: They're waiting for
3: late April like- already. And don't forget, they kind of had a head start. Their first game was on the road. This isn't week one. He's just here, haven't gotten a shipment in. They had a game they almost won. In Washington. Then they had a Giants game that they almost won. And he was playing well through six quarters. And they still didn't think someone (laughs) might want to buy the quarterback's jersey. And now on
1: Tuesday, I guess this is probably posted yesterday, Tuesday of the week after they beat the the Cowboys, still nobody is like, maybe we should have a Thomas jersey. (laughs) Here is Darius Slay via the second wind podcast. I feel like that could have been Mraz's podcast. As <laughs> or maybe that's Bilati's yeah. podcast. He got he gets second wind. Uh talking talking about trying to uh cover Calvin Johnson Megatron to practice.
5: I got to practice, man. Uh man. I mean talking about strong, athletic, fast, quick, get out of breaks, just mm-hmm. as quick as a Little dude, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> running a 4 3 at 6 3, six four, about 240. Damn. Running through air. I'm talking about, I press them, running right through my arm. Yeah. Boom. Running yeah. through it. It don't phase them. You know, I never been that type of player. Like, damn, like what I'm going to do? Mm-hmm. But, and every day, work, work, work. Mm-hmm. And I'm on, uh, Jim Swartz had me on first team defense and first team scouts. So I got the first four plays of scout team and the first, all the plays of one's defense. One. So, damn. I had to be like guys like Revis at that time. I had to be like Tlaib. Every time that guys that travel and stuff like that to Calvin, I had to be Pat Pete. I had Mm -hmm. to have that jersey on being him so they was getting me ready. So I'm just like, and I'll tell you, it was like, I probably my whole rookie year, I ain't knocked no ball down from him, no PBU, no (laughs) nothing. you trying trying your best. Everything, you know what I'm saying? Every way. I'll try and do it professionally because the fact that, you know, you can't, can't uh, 100 Ms can't (laughs) be on the ground.
1: Facts. 100 Ms can't be on the ground. That is such a good clip. To really hear behind the scenes. Now, Darius Slay was All-SEC at Mississippi State. He was a second-round pick, so he is not some type of chump. He has been a five-time Pro Bowler over the course of his career, Lions and Eagles. And when he first came to the league, he went an entire year covering Calvin Johnson in practice and didn't knock down one ball. (laughs) (laughs) That tells you what there is between really great and then Hall of Fame Legend Great. That's how great Calvin Johnson was. Hall of Fame Legend Great. Not one pass knockdown, all practice. For a kid that was obviously a pretty good cornerback.
4: And later in the clip, that I didn't get to extend because it was too long, he talks about how, oh, after these, you know, times of me getting worked out by Calvin Johnson, he didn't give me tips about, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that. Mind you, it never helped them the next practice they would go against each other because <laughs> he would still catch every single ball. He says that Matt Stafford, what you saw in the games was essentially was practice, was all right, I'm just gonna throw it to Calvin Johnson and it's gonna be a catch. It doesn't matter what happens. Calvin
1: Johnson does not get nearly enough credit for being one of the great wide receivers of all time. He was simply unstoppable. You just could not defend him. He was too big, too long, too fast, too strong. He was so strong, so coordinated, so good in the air, so good in the red zone. You know, he just played on so many crummy line scenes that we never saw him in really big games. But Johnson was just filthy. And finally, here's Jimmy Butler via his own social media Instagram. As he is going with a pump to fill up his sports cars Bugatti. This is high-rate
4: robbery.
5: Man. I'm trying to get some of this gas back. Wow. Hey, you think if I go in there and tell them that I put the wrong gas in here, they will give me a refund? <laughs> huh. This is crazy. I'm going electric. Can y'all believe it costs hundred and forty-five dollars to fill up a Bugatti, like this is crazy, Avery. You feel me? You no, know? unheard of, man.
1: Bugattis, man. I see. I don't. I don't know what type of uh, or where he's filling up. I love <laughs> the Jimmy Gold B- Fountain. I I love Jimmy Butler, but you're surprised it's more expensive to fill up a Bugatti with elite grade gas than a ford taurus like when i fill up my car it's 40 bucks or something like that why it would be 145 for him is probably because it's a huge gas tank is my guess because it burns so much fuel as a performance vehicle and you've got to get the highest grade possible you probably just can't go into like a sunoco to get
3: gas for bugatti right so there the, has to
1: be special places for Bugatti.
3: I'm pretty sure the the pump says 20 gallons, which is more than my car has yeah. ever taken. Mine's car I've like ever had. 11. I think mine might be 14, my my sweet Volkswagen Tiguan. So what's 140 divided by 20? That's $7 a, uh, a gallon? Yeah. That's so a lot of money.
1: It is, but here in Jersey, today it was 350. I filled it on my way up. Mm-hmm. So... Does he have to pay twice as much as normal gas per gallon because he's got to get the highest octane for a freaking Bugatti? Maybe. I mean, it's just like what you got to do. Like, drive a Taurus if you don't want to
4: pay that much for a Bugatti. That's sort of ridiculous that... He's driving a Bugatti, and he's complaining about $145. Right. I mean, come on. Like, yeah. I understand if you're driving a normal car, maybe a leg up from a normal car, and say, oh, man, $140 is a lot. But, I mean, you're driving a freaking Bugatti. Like, what What did you guys <laughs> expect? You spent probably $200,000, $300,000. I don't know how much Bugattis cost, but I'm sure they're a ton of money. Like, I think $143 a week, a couple of weeks, isn't that bad for Jimmy Butler? A quick Google
1: search says the most inexpensive version of bugatti is the veyron at 1.9 mil are you serious Crazy. i don't know if this is effective this is uh correct but i mean yeah so let's just say is bugatti cost one to two million bucks ej's right you're complaining about the
3: gas <laughs> You spent the two million bucks on a car. Now, I could argue that if I spent two million bucks on a car, the gas should be free for forever at the Bugatti station. (laughs) (laughs) But assuming that's not a thing, you can't go to the pump and complain about this. But I I do want to know which Bugatti Carlos has.
6: Oh, first of all, I don't have a Bugatti. And uh-huh. I have no sympathy for this dude because it costs me five bucks a gallon for my car. But it's like getting a $200 steak and complaining about the price of Velveeta to go to the, uh, with your steak. Like It doesn't make any
1: sense. You, you can afford it. It's, it comes off as tone deaf. If you have the money and the management of money to spend $2 million on a car, then the cost of upkeeping that car should not be sticker shock to you or should not be where you pinch pennies. (laughs) If it's 145 bucks, you're like, how could it be this expensive? How did you get to your brain where it was easy to spend the $2 million on the vehicle itself? And what's you don't just bring that into Meineke also. Like if something goes wrong, you got to bring that to Bugatti and that's a $17,000 service or something like that.
4: It's, but this is kind of consistent with Jimmy Butler. Like, this whole thing of, like, I'm this humble guy, but also right. I'm this superstar. <laughs> like, oh, I'm not going to go to my Hall of Fame ceremony. Like, they can put me in, but, like, who am I to go to the Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah, I own a Bugatti, but look at these prices on the gas. I mean, come, like, this is kind of who he is. True. Lunch pal, blue-collar
1: guy that drives a $2 million Bugatti.
4: Yeah. That's too good to go to Hall of Fame ceremonies, even if he's getting inducted.
3: And even if the gas was a nickel a gallon, you can't take your Bugatti to the local Exxon next to all the other dopes in their regular cars. That's right. You can't have somebody scratch that bad boy. Look, I mean, go somewhere else. Also. Have the gas brought to you. What's the ga- What's the miles per gallon of a Bugatti? Two like, and a half. Right.
1: I mean, you have
2: <laughs> to keep filling it up. Yeah. I
1: mean, seriously. All right, that's your sound check. All right, now, Bogues, I came in today and I thought, you know, we had, we've had we had the urine situation around here <laughs> where the studio apparently smells like number one. We had the stream situation where the engineers had finagled with something and we had no stream and no audio yesterday. And it just, just felt like a little bit of a, a dark cloud. So I said, why don't we take the dark cloud off? Why don't we have some fun today? Why don't we play something that maybe we don't get a chance to play usually. And that brought me to the year of the buffoon. I feel like we should deep go into the crates. It makes everybody feel better, feel smarter. And it's a reminder of a gentler time when Miraz used to just say silly things about history instead of arguing with half of New York City (laughs) every day and getting death threats online. So I am going to dig into the craze today. Carlos with a K is behind me. EJ is also behind me. Let's dial up the first ever year of the buffoon from 2018. Here's our present to you, boys and girls. In 2018, cue the music, Mr. Pete the Body Baladi. 2018 was a year that Sean Mraz became a household name in so many places across the country. Here is Mraz's greatest hits. Bilotti and I have been putting this together for the entire year. It's the year of the buffoon. What number Super Bowl is this? 52. Okay, what's the Roman numerals?
6: The Roman numerals would be <laughs> XL with three single things. Is it deers or die? Like mooses and moose and huh. mice. You think it's my? <laughs> mice. Something. But all right, anyway. You, you thought multiple deer were die. Or like they call maybe that's what they call the pride of them. The pride is like a group of animals. My only, uh, if you will, coup de gras
1: to that. That doesn't make any sense.
6: I was, I was shooting there. I hope I shot right. You shot terribly wrong. I missed wrong. Nola oh, Williams there. What's that? I don't know if you have any plans on going to China.
3: But- uh, you
1: know what? I'm
6: more of an Eastern Hemisphere guy,
3: which is where China is. That's but actually a yeah. <laughs> hemisphere with China. What?
6: Are we West? <laughs> We're West. I'm more of a Western Hemisphere guy. I live, I live East from here. You live East <laughs> from the station yes <laughs> what it just it's pronounced the way it's spelled it's gyro enough with the fancy schmancy we're not in greece
1: it's properly pronounced hero so
6: is spider-man and batman this is a gyro
1: you think that spider-man is pronounced hero
6: superhero
1: <laughs> you think it's super hero i would imagine i don't even follow that logic
6: because here we call a sandwich a hero that is a sandwich there it is their hero it would be xl XL. And then uh, <laughs> three capital letter I's. <laughs> oh. I find chocolate to be the most uh, pungent of all the candies. And if I'm
1: going with. Most s- pungent meaning. Packed with flavor. And Usually pungent describes a smell, but all right.
6: Well, yeah, it smells on your tongue. So is this a V and in three <laughs> stripes? This is known. V is five. Fifty. Five. <laughs> v zero three stripes. That's what he's going with, right? The clarinist? That's a clarinet player? What? That's what he was talking about. The man who sees the perfect clarinist
1: what why would you think that jason is talking about playing a clarinet well who knows what he's talking about you're a
6: handsome man right you have a
1: giant buddha belt
6: but that's my point i have a default don't add more defaults to yourself (laughs) what obtuse no No. obese no i know obtuse was a slang on obese it's like a triangle wow no definitely not (laughs) anybody who actually enjoys a veggie burger probably incorporates them into their lives Way too much compared to somebody who wants to, uh, you know, divulge or engulge
1: or what's the word
6: there? Um, Indulge. Indulge. (laughs) You're welcome. It just dawned on me Jacksonville. Was that named after Michael Jackson?
1: Yeah, they named Jacksonville after Michael Jackson. I never freaking knew that. How can you not know that? Gotta fly to Denver or Minneapolis. Would it be shorter to drive? Are you laughing? Is it that
6: long? Boise's in the middle, so driving from Bo- from New York to Boise. Yeah, like Cleveland would be eight hours. So how much longer to Boise? Another you know, two? Yeah, it's about two hours past Ohio. So ten hours. Hala. The first name is Hali Pui Vati Vaitai.
1: <laughs> what was that? Hui Pui?
6: Did you say? Hala Pula Vaitai Vaitai. Hal A P O U uh-huh. Apu. L I V Live A A T I IT Viti. Vitae. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> Got it. <laughs> is
6: Table Rock a strip club? <laughs> That's what I were we're getting at. So, what would Table Rock be? It's a hike, you
1: doofus. Do <laughs> you don't even know where Spain is?
6: Yes, Europe, Madrid. <laughs> Is Spain in Madrid? No, Madrid is in Spain, okay.
1: as mm. is... Morocco?
0: <laughs> oh, my God. I was going for another we city so there. So close. So oh my close.
6: God.
1: And then you just just <laughs> wow. one step too far, yeah. Wow.
6: I was thinking Morocco's in Spain, but now I think it's in the Mediterranean.
1: Is Morocco a city or a country?
6: Morocco is a city in the Mediterranean.
1: Oh, my goodness. Don't you love how he swallows deep before this? Ah, <laughs> uh, it's a city in the Mediterranean? <laughs>
6: Mediterranean's like New England, right? It's a group of countries.
1: Mraz, <laughs> what are the La Brea Tar Pits?
6: Uh, roller Derby team.
1: <laughs> I didn't even know
6: quicksand was real. That's crazy.
1: What is textile? <laughs>
6: like Calibre? Ariel? What? Like the, 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 the fonts on Microsoft? Is that what they mean? Not text style. No, not text style. What's this here? Jurassic Park. What's the name of them? Jurassic I know- Five. Is that it, Jurassic 5? Something is the the halftime show. I forgot their names. Some band that everybody thinks is popular and they're not. The guy's on some of those shows that judges women. Not judges women. Judges uh, singers. Um, Maroon 5? Is it Maroon 5? Is it oh, my Adam? God.
1: Which the, the Super Did Bowl? you think Maroon 5 was no. Jurassic Park? It's what it like
6: Justin Timberlake at halftime, playing with the homonym of Prince there. The homonym. Hominim. The homonym. Homonym of the thing where it's not really him, but it looks like him. What is it? I can't believe I that Miraz knows the word homonym instead of <laughs> That instead might of be more impressive, yeah. Hologram. 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 It's
1: the homonym. Miraz, do you even know what Parliament is?
6: Uh, a cigarette and a funk
1: group. And any other usage of Parliament? The movie company? <laughs> That's paramount.
6: <laughs> is it the English Congress? Yes! What? I didn't realize that. They stand outside Buchanan's palace.
1: A group of crows is called a murder of crows.
6: But all I'm hearing is that song. Murder of crows. Murder of crows.
1: Well, it's Murder, She Wrote. But-
6: but if you did it to, you know, the crows. Yeah. So it's L and three stripes?
1: <laughs> no! No! It's not! Come, Come on! Come on! You can't be that dumb. Oh, how good is this? That's the first ever year of the buffoon from 2018, a montage of just that year's Mraz Isms. And that's it. I'm lifting the black cloud, I'm unveiling all of the. Mraz, Year of the Buffoon montages all morning long. So you have to listen to this show from now right through 10 o'clock Eastern time. We're doing every single Year of the Buffoon, counting down from 2018. Dog! That's right. Dog Day! Dog!
3: Here on the show. That's an alpha move by you. Such an alpha move. We have to do it. Is he coming back? What's happening? No. I just think that
1: it's so good. It's so, 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 so good. And so I want everybody to mark down Wednesday, September 27th, 2023. Because this show will be archived forever. YouTube, etc. You will always be able to go back for the full year of the Buffoon montages from 2018 through 2022. It's a beautiful thing.
3: We're doing it. Shame on me. I didn't realize that that was a Baladi creation. I thought that existed before you guys were in the morning. No, no. That was me and Bellati that uh, tag-teamed on that. My what? lord.
1: Yeah. All right, Bogues, his headline.
3: So we have Scott Rowland and Nolan Arenado, but neither is Brooks Robinson, the Orioles' all-time third baseman passing away at 86. He played all 23 of his seasons in Baltimore, winning 16 gold gloves. They were all in a row. He played in 18 All-Star games, won two World Series, was a Fall Classic MVP, and the 64 AL MVP was also beloved for the man he was. Tim Kirkshin's old bit on ESPN included this. Uh, a sports writer once wrote, they named a candy bar after Reggie Jackson in New York. We name our kids after Brooks Robinson here in Baltimore. The Orioles began their tributes to Robinson with a moment of silence before last night's one nothing win over the Nationals' manager Brandon Hyde.
0: The time he spent with us last year, especially coming in the clubhouse, after he threw the first pitch, know it was really motivational, inspirational for our players. He's an icon in this game, icon in the city. There's not many, there's not many of those. And so, uh Uh, just we feel terrible for his family.
3: As for the baseball part, the win maintains Baltimore's two-and-a-half game lead on the Rays to top the AL East. Tampa Bay held off Boston last night 9-7. The Blue Jays took a 2-0 loss from the Yankees, but they keep their game-and-a-half lead on the Astros for the second AL wild card. Houston falling in Seattle, 6-2. The Mariners back to a half game behind Houston for that last playoff spot. The Brewers clinched the NL Central when the Cubs blew a 6-0 lead in Atlanta, losing 7-6. The Phillies clinched the top NL Wild with a 3-2, 10-inning win over the Pirates. And the Rockies clinched the first 100-loss season in team history with an 11-2 defeat at the hands of the Dodgers. Lions head coach Dan Campbell says there's a chance running back David Montgomery returns from his quad injury tomorrow against the Packers. The Ravens adding veteran linebacker Kyle Van Noy to their practice squad. And the Jets sign QB Trevor Simeon, which should certainly tell Zach Wilson to get your act together. (laughs) The good news for the Jets, they get to host the Chiefs on Sunday night. KC is neither good nor popular, so that's a welcome break for Gang <laughs> Green. Miami <Inter-Miami laughs> says Leo Messi is a game-time decision for tonight's U.S. Open Cup Final against Houston Dynamo FC. Messi missed two of their last three matches with an old scar tissue problem. Nets head coach Jacques Vaughn said yesterday Ben Simmons... playing 5-on-5 ahead of training camp. Simmons didn't play after mid-February last season because of continued back troubles. The Oklahoma City Council set a public vote for December 12th on the sales tax increase to fund a new arena for the Thunder. The 1% hike would last six years. The team committing a paltry 50 mil to the $900 million projected cost. Brianna Stewart beat Alyssa Thomas and Asia Wilson for WNBA MVP. Wilson said it, quote, hurt like hell to lose, then went out and posted 30 points and 11 boards in the Aces' 91-84 win over the Wings. Wilson is the first player ever with three consecutive 30-point playoff games Her team lead that best of five semi, two games to none. Stewart and the Liberty fought off the sum, 84-77, to salvage a split in New York. DA,
1: back to you. Thank you, Bogues. We will remember Brooks Robinson next. DA, CBS Sports Radio. Appreciate you being with us on this Wednesday morning. DA with you here on CBS Sports Radio. Sad news from the Baltimore Orioles yesterday that Brooks Robinson passed away at the age of 86. Brooks Robinson felt very superhero-esque when I was growing up. He played his entire career before I was born. So when I was growing up in the 80s and I was learning about the history of the game, of course... It was incredible just to kind of thumb through old record books or books, watch old footage, old VCR tapes, VHS tapes of World Series highlights, old baseball highlights. And those great Orioles teams of the late 60s, 70s, and early 80s always felt to be very kind of mystical and magical because there was the Oriole way. And there were so many great players, the Jim Palmers, the Brooks Robinsons, Frank Robinsons through Cal Ripken and Old Memorial Stadium and the way that the Orioles themselves kind of capture the imagination of a wonderful baseball town and were always winners. And those highlights of Brooks Robinson manning third base and being called the human vacuum cleaner felt very magical to me. You know, you're nine years old and you're watching old grainy footage of World Series of yesteryear, and a guy is called the human vacuum cleaner. And then you see him diving, sprawling out for a hot shot down the line, getting up, throwing to first base, getting him out, and you just couldn't hit anything past Brooks Robinson. A guy that won 16 consecutive gold gloves. 16. He is easily the greatest defensive third baseman of all time. But also, he personified a classy organization that did things the right way, that won. He won two World Series over the course of his career and was part of all of those incredible Orioles teams that sometimes fell short, but also did do the job in that 1970 World Series against the Big Red Machine, the Reds, really before they were the Big Red Machine, was just filled with incredible stops. And so when the moment was biggest, he was at his best. And he was just dignified, appreciative, classy, and did everything the right way. And you could understand why he was so beloved and idolized in a city that loved the Orioles. And so I love the fact that the Orioles are once again winning. I love the fact that we'll see Baltimore in October. I love the fact that Camden Yards is alive again. And Brooks Robinson always felt like he floated. He didn't really walk. didn't really run. He just floated. RIP to a definite legend. We'll come back and talk a little NFL after this.